the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to this week's edition of the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Linton Nightingale. I'm the editor of Lloyd's List bi-monthly magazine, The Intelligence and European Senior Reporter. I'm in Hamburg, as I just mentioned, and I'm at the Global Lioness Shipping Conference. And alongside me, I have the partner and chief executive of Sea Intelligence Consulting, Lars Jensen, and also partner of Sea Intelligence Consulting, Alan Murphy. Right, so what we're going to talk about is what's happened at the conference over the last couple of days and some some thoughts, I guess. So let's start with you, Lars. I think it's been a great couple of days here at the conference. And um, when I kicked off the conference yesterday morning, I, I said there were two big elephants in the room that we were going to discuss. That was digitization and sustainability. And that's exactly what has been on the forefront. What I see here is actually quite interesting if we take the digital agenda first. That has been very much top of mind within the industry for quite a number of years now. And what I'm seeing is there is traction. There is indeed things happening. It is not as much pie in the sky discussion as it was two or three years ago, but it also is something that still is not fully implemented. There's a number of elemental building blocks in this industry that is still not in place. There is traction. It just takes quite a while to get where we want to go as an industry. The second thing is that's the sustainability agenda. That is an agenda that has been almost entirely absent, not completely, but pretty close for many years in this industry. And suddenly that has been propelled, not just to the front page of media such as, as your own, but to actual action within the shipping lines. And of course, the trigger point for this is the IMO 2020 low sulfur rules coming into effect in just seven months. And it's a very good example that sometimes this industry needs regulation to come into force and regulation, by the way, that is actually going to be enforced as well. That shows the industry is capable of uh, suddenly affecting a lot of change. And maybe adding to that is the overwhelming takeaway from all the discussions here, both these two days and also in the pre-conference on Monday was, this is going to happen. Uh, It's not something that is going to top of the world. The world is not going to come to a crashing end. Uh, Containers will not stop flowing. Ships will not stop sailing. Mm -hmm. There might very well be some implementation pain, uh, either in terms of service disruptions or price spikes. But it also seems that all involved agree that that's a transitory period and the markets will be the markets and we will be able to move forward with actually a lot cleaner industry. And there was also pretty much consensus that This is not a one-time affair that this comes to the forefront of the industry because there's also broad recognition that low sulfur is only the start. We will see more sustainable or sustainability regulation come into force over the coming years on NOx, on particulate matters, on carbon, all these different issues, they will be coming and they will be enforced and the industry might as well get used to how do we make these transitions. Okay, so did you get the impression from the last couple of days that the industry is ready for the sulfur cap at the end of the year? Do you still think there's some underlying concerns that were raised as well? Uh, I would say yes to both of them. Yes, there are indeed underlying concerns. It's not, it's not as simple as you say, fine, now just uh, buy a different fuel and be done with it. There, for the carriers, there are very, very practical concerns that need to come into place, both in terms of fuel quality, fuel blends, tank cleaning in some cases, that's that's why I said there might indeed be service disruptions. 
But there's also an underlying belief that these are not insurmountable problems. They will be transitory in nature and the industry will move on. The, the fear that you're going to get these colossal price spikes, again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get a price spike of two, three hundred dollars, sure, that's going to be massive if you are comparing to what you pay today as a shipper. On the other hand, it would only bring prices up to where we were in the period 2011 to 2014 where the industry, including all the shippers, apparently lived perfectly well with freight rates that were by then compensatory for high uh, fuel prices. Okay, and then Alan, I guess the, the same questions to you really, just going on your thoughts on the solar yeah. cap and how the industry is coping or not coping as it may be. Well, I think it's, it's interesting that two very disparate subjects, uh, environment and digital, which has been the core of the, the, the conference, they actually have something in common. Um, and that is, it's two very important aspects of the industry that we have been quite slow to, to move on, as, as Lars also said. So I, I would always jokingly say that when it comes to digital, um, you know, if you want to know where container shipping will be next year, just look at any industry where they were 15 years ago and we will be there. It does seem to change. So, so it, it is unfortunately, both when it comes to environment and digital, on the environment, it, we always hoped that there would be an, a, a bottom-up approach to it, that there, there would be a demand for, for, for differentiating services according to environmental performance to be able to benchmark shipping lines on the CO2 emissions uh, and so forth. That hasn't happened. And, and as a freewheeling market capital libertarian, I'm not happy to say that, that sometimes regulation is the solution but it, it does seem to be the case it has been the case that 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 this very very fundamentally necessary change for the industry um, it's where for example co2 emissions is, is a bit more of a uh, of a once removed from the industry it's it's very difficult to argue against the lowering of, of sulfur emissions because it's literally hundreds of thousands of people dying from it it's it's, it's hard for anybody to to come up with any reasonable argument against it uh, and the industry will have to change the, the industry will uh, and as I said that there's of course, so the opportunity that, that or a possibility that uh, a few things will go wrong, but we have had major changes go through relatively smooth in the past, the most recent being the, the VGM requirements. And that was by some hailed as the potential, you know, end of the world and everything would go to, and it actually went relatively smoothly through. I'm hoping that we will see some of the same when it comes here to, to, to the introduction of the, of the low sulfur cap. From our talks with the shipping lines, they are all fully aware of, of the chances. They're not necessarily exactly certain of how will they get to clean up the tanks, when will this happen, you know. There, there will, of course, be the installation of scrubbers will take some capacity out. We don't know how much that will affect. Um, but the, the carriers are aware that this is coming and they are planning for it. Also, just to say on why, why this is not a big, scary scenario, in the pre-conference summit on Monday, we heard from uh, Bogdan Aldakovic, who's the General Secretary of the Baltic Port Organization. And, and, and that's very instructive because we need to keep in mind the North Sea and the Baltics introduced low sulfur caps all the way back in 2015, actually at 0.1%, even lower than what we go to now. So they've had four years under a regime even more strict than this. And shipping certainly did not come to a screeching halt in the Baltics. It definitely continued very much onwards. At least from what he's hearing from his members, there was not a major shift from sea to intermodal transport. What he has seen is a pickup, not so much on the container side, but on the row row side of LNG powered vessels. And, and of course, you're not going to change an entire fleet 
overnight. That's a process that takes decades. But the learning point from the introduction of the SICA was it was very much feasible without uh, completely disrupting shipping. So, I mean, maybe perhaps in the Western world and in developed nations, hopefully the implementation should be um, quite easy. But there is a couple of people were talking yesterday about how other regions, Southeast Asia and Western Africa in particular, may well struggle with the sulfur cap implementation with issues over refinery capacity. Um, is this something that you two have also heard much yes. about as well? And do you have concerns over that? No, I wouldn't say it's concern. Sometimes we also have to face up to reality that no matter how much we would like to say that there is a global regulation, it comes down to the individual states. And I know for a fact of at least one country in Southeast Asia that is not going to enforce this. I've been talking to a small carrier in Asia that knows that this is simply not going to be enforced. So they're not looking at this, for example. So will you have small pockets where this is not going to be enforced? Sure. What is that going to impact? It's going to impact some very small and minor niche carriers. That is not really going to move the needle much. When it comes to the medium and the large size container lines, they will comply. And one of the reasons they will comply is also that you are now in a day and age where you simply cannot afford to suddenly be seen as the one who continues to basically pollute the air and kill people when yeah. you don't have them. I, I, I completely echo Lars and that. We also got to remember that this is, by definition, a global industry. So, so all deep sea liners, all deep sea jigs, even if you're calling West Africa, if you're coming from Asia, well, certainly you are within the, the regulatory regime. So it's, it's a question of, of Lars says, small niche operators, feeder services that may not be compliant. But then again, all the in order to operate a small niche service, you also need to take the boxes of the big lines, and the big lines will not be caught with their pants down of on course, this. Of course not. Um, okay, so one other area I just wanted to quickly discuss with you two was um, the Digital Container Shipping Association, which was, well, was launched launch in April and officially launched yesterday. You had a party here last night in Hamburg. Just your initial thoughts on this and what this can bring to the industry. Is this the vehicle that will suddenly get standardization underway and the benefits of this, I guess. Hopefully. Um, uh, it, it certainly is a very positive sign that we have so many, now nine of the large global carriers back in such an organization. Mm -hmm. it, it has been a challenge in the past with different industry bodies that you really get acceptance and backup from the industry. And they do seem to be committed. Now, we, we of course don't know what will be the focus points, what will be the, the key agendas. Now, we, at least from our perspective, see that there the are certain challenges that we've had in the industry that are legacy challenges. Um, standardizing port codes, standardizing commodity codes, standardizing terminal names, port names, some very basic things where you can you can go to nine different carriers and literally find nine different names for the same port and nine different port codes. These are very basic things that it's at least what we would I would personally recommend that, that an organization like that focuses on. Um, but but to have the most of the industry already from day one backing up on it is a very promising sign. Lars? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I also see it as a, as a very positive move. Of course, uh, so far, the only thing we know and the only thing basically the organization knows is what is their intended goal. Uh, of course, this doesn't matter if they don't reach the intended goal. Where, where I see this is important is the easy and then in quotation marks because nothing is easy. The easy part is for them, even if they're nine, to agree on what should the standards be. The real hard part then comes afterwards. The first part is they need to implement these standards within their own organizations. 
and even more importantly, they need to get a large part of the industry to also agree to use those standards, which means the this needs to be adopted by a large number of BCOs, by a large number of freight forwarders, ports and terminals, customs authorities, banks. So is that the key for you, the stakeholder collaboration? It has to be. I, I'm Actually, I think it's a good thing for them to say, fine, we're going to start out as a very small group, because if you start out with a group with 100 different stakeholders, yep. it will be very hard to take that first step and say, what should the, what should the agreement be? So there's sense in that argument. But very early on, if you were to get any sense that this gains traction, you need to see them relatively early on also begin to get buy-in from some of the important other stakeholders within the in, in, uh, entire supply chain. That becomes critical. But, but I think also to add, I mean, it's not often you see a large number of carriers come together to do something. Something like intra comes to mind. But, yeah. but I think there is an extremely important diff- key difference here. Intra was right from the start a commercial venture. It was a product developed by carriers. Yes, it was to try to develop a standardized product, but still a commercial venture, and that has very clear limitations. This, by definition, is set up not as a commercial product. The carriers are not out to sell any product whatsoever. And actually, at the end of the day, if they're successful, they will be able to, let me phrase it maybe slightly provocative, use this tool they have developed collaboratively to actually use it against each other to to leverage it to develop differentiated products. And certainly, as I said, getting a stakeholder buy-in is essential, but you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to from day one have it to be formal stakeholders with uh, entries with, from, from all parts of the, the supply chain. But it's very important that they, in their discovery phase, in the build-up phase, that they liaise and negotiate and talk with, with the other stakeholders, be they BCO, freight forwarders, terminals, ports, and so Because we unfortunately, this industry have had some tendencies in the past to put on our blinders and say, we have the perfect solution, let's let's gallop away. And the rest of the industry say, no, that's actually not what we're looking for. So while they don't need to have, from day one, have, have formal buy-in from stakeholders, if they're in the discovery phase and planning phase, do not take the stakeholders seriously and bring them in for support and, and feedback. This could go wrong, but our sense is that they are well aware of this challenge and are well aware that they need to look at what are the needs of the whole industry, not just the lines themselves. Okay, absolutely. I think it's going to be very interesting in the, until the end of the year, the next couple of years, to see how this pans out. Okay, so my last thing to do is just say thank you, gentlemen, for agreeing to be on this week's podcast and that was Lloyd's List podcast for this week.